this evening perhaps to be a little more interactive and a bit more discussion rather than my and or Carol's talking at you. And hopefully that that's helpful for all of us. So without looking at your sheets, let's do a bit of a pop quiz. Does that sound okay? Feel free to contribute, those of you online. We've got them silent so they can't. We talked about, sorry? We've got them on silent. We talked about three main sources of fear. Can anyone name one or more of the main sources of fear? Just one at a time. Lady at the back, Jonah, what was. Oh, you were just you were just waving at the Mintons. The Mintons, you're being waved at. I know you can't see that, but receive it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Three sources of fear were talked about in the notes. Fear of the Lord. Well, um, no, we we talked about three types of fear, uh, but we're looking at not fear of the Lord or fear of genuine danger, but that other sort of lingering, annoying worrisome kind of fear that um, can sometimes envelop us. And uh, we talked about three sources that can contribute to our being anxious, worried. All right, that's right, that's one of them. Congratulations. (laughs) Give that lady a prize. Well, we don't have any actually, but congratulations nonetheless. (laughs) Um, so the fear of the unknown, that was actually the third one. So sometimes, I'll come back to you, Carol, because you're obviously ready to answer it. Sometimes, um, you know, we just don't know what's coming next. You know, you hire a new pastor, what's going to happen? That can cause fear <laughs> or concern or wonder. <laughs> anyway, but ju- just what, what's going to happen? And when we don't know, because sometimes we have a sense of security from... Knowing what's coming next. Anyone ever feel like that? Be honest. Yep. However, we're called to an adventure, aren't we? So, we we need to be equipped for that. But that is one of them. Fear of the unknown. Carol, you were going to suggest something. Fear that what has happened in the past will happen again. Or what's happened to your parents. Right. And in particular, we talked about past hurt. One of the things we're trying to emphasize throughout this is hurt is a primary response to unmet need in my life. And uh, and hurt is often the trigger for secondary emotional response. And so often behind fear is hurt. Sometimes hurt we've witnessed, sometimes hurt we've experienced. Something that happened in the past that's causing me to anticipate something like it in the future and I don't like the idea of it. So I'm uh, maybe anxious or afraid. And this is one of the key ones, actually. It's the first one on the list is, is past hurt. And particularly if it's your hurt. And if it's hurt that I've not done a good job of dealing with, processing. How do we process our hurt? How do we remove hurt from our cup? Perfect love, we're going, to look, we're going to explore, is what helps us with fear. But what, what do we need when we're hurting? We need comfort. Absolutely. We need, actually, others to come alongside and feel with us. This is where empathy is such a vital skill and uh, exhibited by the Lord. 
And in fact, he's known as the comforter. In fact, he's known as the God of all comfort. You find comfort anywhere in the world, it comes from him. Because he's created us with the capacity to to give and receive comfort. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So in other words, a painful situation becomes a situation of blessing through the means of comfort. And so a primary skill for all of us, if we're going to care for people, is to give comfort. Is to create more capacity for empathy in our lives. And actually be courageous enough and willing to pay the price for that. Because rarely do we wake up in the morning saying, Oh Lord, give me people to hurt with today. Bring people into my path that I can take on their pain. It's not typically the first thing we think about. However, it is a tremendous gift we give others. And this is what compassion is. This is what marked uh, Jesus' ministry and life because it's the essence of who God is. Because pain is inevitable. It's a part of our broken world. And we all contribute to it as well as are all affected by it. So, if we haven't done a good job of processing pain by... All right, another pop quiz. Talked about four steps in processing pain. We've got to find it, feel it, share it, receive care. Find it, feel it, share it, receive care. In other words, when we actually get in touch with the pain within us and talk about that, or exhibit that even, and people comfort us, there is something's happening within us in that moment. This, this, of course, is the nature of God's ministry to us. Um, But we get to participate in that flow of life. And it's really important that we do. Now, people need more than comfort, but without it, it becomes um, dangerous, legalistic, and uh, not too helpful. So, um, past hurts. Really important that uh, when you see somebody who's fearful, there's a high likelihood, not necessarily so often though, just like with anger, an angry person is a hurting person. A fearful person will have had some measure of pain in their past that's giving some energy to that fear. There was one more. We had, we had it talked about in one of the testimonies this morning. For those of you who are here and listening. <laughs> what? Sorry? No, that's a different kind of fear that we're not really talking about because that's a, that's a reverence and that's, that's a healthy fear. That's a good thing. That's the beginning of wisdom. Insecurity? Well, it can lead to that. The word I'm looking for is lies. Remember Kat's testimony? Lies. Where do lies come from? Yeah, the devil, who Jesus said is the father of lies. So if there's a lie on the planet, where does it come from? Well, he's somehow involved to some extent. However, though he may whisper and speak lies into our psyche, understanding, mind, um, we speak lies into ourselves as well. So lies can be rooted in ourselves. In other words, we have come to believe what the enemy says, and we've, we so believe it that it's a part of who we are. It's the reason why Jesus came to set us free by being truth. 
Because truth liberates us from lies. <laughs> We're under the power of the enemy, and very often that's the deception and accusation of the enemy. And, and Jesus came to, to break us free from that. That is a truth, but we don't immediately enter into that reality and live out of the bounty of truth. We can, but it's a journey. So, lies. Quote there, but I don't think I'll repeat that one. Um, and of course, the enemy does whisper into our understanding, particularly when we're under pressure, under stress. And he can easily stoke those lies so that they become even more powerful and therefore affect us and trigger this fearful response. So, three sources of lies pain in the past, lies from ourselves and the enemy. And um, just the unknown, entering a future that is uncertain. And, and we all do that. We entered a future <laughs> a year ago and almost two years ago. <laughs> we came to Canada. And, um, yeah, you just don't know what that means. We certainly did not anticipate 2020. So why would we want to linger in 2020? <laughs> So let me go back to this idea about truth. Why does knowing the truth help us when it comes to fear? Or often relieve us of fear. What's tr how does truth work? How does that play a part? It confronts or exposes the lie. Absolutely. Anyone got an example of that? Does anyone have an example? We'll get you to be thinking about that because we're, we're going to get you to talk in your, at your tables in a little while. Um, so how does that work in practice? How does in practice truth expose lies? been dealing with a gal haven't you recently in Austin has been was wrestling with that well the one who was actually let go this and, week and she was let go this week <laughs> yeah she was but it might be the best thing for her but she has lived for months in this place of fear and worry about what people think about her and particularly her boss and yet the, there can be a fear in actually asking for feedback why, why is that? If it's truth, why is it terrifying? Well, let's say you're an artist. <laughs> <laughs> or a singer or something like that, and you ask for feedback on how did that sound or how does this look. You know, you're really exposing yourself to making yourself vulnerable you're, because, like, your artwork's your baby. You know, your songs are your babies. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand that. So if you are an artist and you are singing flat, would you want to know that or would you want everyone to continue smiling politely and saying what a good singer you are? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because in a sense, we're back to what am I centered upon? What is it that provides my security? And how so often it's our performance that is such a driver for that. And this is what the enemy uses, actually, that he, he tries to convince us that our performance is the only basis of our worth and our value and our meaning. And it's not to say that it's unimportant. It's a big part of us. However, when we get that out of sequence, we're kind of exposing ourselves and taking to an extreme sort of narcissistic level. We don't want to hear anything that's other than praise. It's hard to be around people like that. Anything else? Anyone else would add to contribute to how does truth, I mean, how does this work? How has it worked in your life? Quite naturally so, that we would be impacted by that. Yeah. Linda's talking about her um, um, potential brain tumor, cancerous brain tumor that um, she was diagnosed with and then eventually um, had a different diagnosis and um, how that changed things. How does... I mean, in, in either of these kind of situations or parallel, how does the Lord help with that, with truth? Is it just, it's only truth that brings a happy outcome in the moment? Because actually there's no guarantee of that. Actually the diagnosis could have been really difficult, but God didn't stop wanting you not to live in fear in the midst of that. Neither does he want the performer, the artist. Sorry, Linda, you are going to say Right, right, yeah. yeah. So here we're seeing something else, and we, we talked about this in the notes of another dynamic that plays in to help us with our fear, and that is love. And we, somebody said, didn't they? Perfect love casts out all fear. And of course, that's that's First uh, John. What? So how does that work? How does, how does the dimension of love work? Um, is that related to truth? Um, or does it have some distinct elements to it? So I'm getting you to work a little bit tonight, aren't I? Don't you like it better when I just talk and you don't have to? <laughs> no, probably not. So how does love work? Think about this on a human level, not just you and God level. 
I'm just thinking of a next, can you hear me? Can you hear me, Jan and Brad? <laughs> An example again from uh, one of these women that I coached in Austin. Um, one of them is really struggling with a lot of fear. Um, based upon, yes, some things that happened in the past, but so much so that she was refusing to even kind of put herself out there and award these points. Every month they have a certain amount of bonusly points that they can give to their work colleagues. And what they do is they, they kind of write a comment about their colleague. Maybe they did well, maybe they helped them. And in doing that, they, you know, they can meet that approval need, appreciation need, but they also get to give them points. But she was so paralyzed with fear that she would be judged by however she worded it, that she just never put this out there. She never gave away her points. And so um, I thought, well, you know, that's a real shame how she's missing out both on giving, but people are missing out on being awarded these points. And so I thought, well, um, how am I going to help her do this? And so we addressed this fear, um, you know, that, that it's not about what people think about what she says, but the fact that I was kind of caring about what she was going through because of past experience, so I was removing that aloneness, giving her some care, but also encouraging her that, you know, whatever she said, people were going to be really glad to receive these points from her and and I think it had hindered her so much that she'd, she'd lost sight of that so I think I was speaking some truth into that but also some care uh, but I encouraged her to do it and I said let me know when you've done it so that there was a little bit of accountability there too so later that day I mean she did it all at once she said the same thing in one message but she said it to everybody and so they all got those points but I thought well way to go because at least she she'd done it and it was baby steps but but she was so paralyzed with this fear that yeah she was missing out and they were missing out so I don't know if that is an mm. example of mm. what you're saying yeah yeah so I'm um, we're just um, reflecting through some of the material just openly. We're kind of processing some things rather than teaching through this. And um, we, we talked about the three, three primary sources of fear uh, in our lives. And the class did really well. We got there. <laughs> Past hurts, lies, both from within and from the enemy. And then just fear of unknown, unknown situations. Um, and now we're talking about how, um, you know, truth plays a part in addressing our fear. But truth alone is insufficient in and of itself. Because truth has to be um, sort of wrapped up in love, in a person. This is, this is how the story of the incarnation is so wondrous. Is that God didn't just, because he'd already revealed truth to his people. But... Then he packaged truth in a person. And all of a sudden, truth became personal, relational, flesh and blood. In the context of a human being. And this is where we can be of tremendous help to one another, particularly when we're wrestling with fears. Because we're assailed by fear all the time. 
Remember the old uh, 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for every day? It's a reality. We're prone to that. But what helps us is the fact that we can learn to both appropriate truth, but also in love. I think that's one of the reasons Paul put the, puts those things together. So, for instance, the person, remember reading the story of the, the lady who, um, first time she comes to church after having lost her husband, one of the many responsibilities, things that get said to people like that in churches, well, don't worry, the Lord is with you. Is that true? Yes. Does it help? No. no. And this is one of the dangers of Scripture. Scripture can be abused. I mean, Jesus had to address that. Misused. These are the scriptures that testify about me, but you refuse to come to me. You know, scripture's there to lead us into relationship with God and one another. And that's why all of us actually need God with skin on. Because we're human. We really genuinely need God to relate to us in the context of human relations. And I think this is why God became like us. But then he also gave us the new commandment, which is, do what I did. Love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. It is so vital to us, to our transformation, to our walking in the fullness of life Jesus wanted us to bring, and particularly to address this issue of fear. And so as we want to serve or minister people, truth into people's lives to help them, we've got to make sure we couch it in love. And that means we have to be the truth. Is that going too far? I don't think it is. Because if truth is in us, as if love is in us, then that is to be expressed through our lives, through our character, through our personality, through our own story. That's the wonder of how God works. But it's really vital that we actually do that and we foster relationships and create a relational environment to help reduce fear in the people of God. Never mind uh, in the world. And sadly often the church is full of fear, anxiety, worry. And I would say it's going to be somewhat related to the level of connection we experience in our lives. And that's not to say community deals with everything, but it sure does help a lot. How does faith remove fear? Right. I know that's true, and, and, I, and I hear that. And, and obviously, faith is intended, because when we speak about faith, it's like confidence, as I was sharing this morning, that we would have, you know, there'd be an energy to our trust in God that compels us to live differently. And not just for our own benefit, but for the, the sake of others. And in that is freedom. 
And it comes out of trusting what Christ has done for us. But what, what, what particular... What, <clears throat> I wonder if there's another way I can ask this. If fear is essentially to do with the future, would that be fair? If it was present, I'd either be experiencing the pain of what I was anticipating or, well, actually, it's not that bad. I'm good. They do like me. (laughs) So fear is about something that hasn't happened yet. It's to do with the future. Back to the future. So how does faith help us when we think about future? Does faith help us when we think about future? Right, absolutely. And, <clears throat> you know, generally we are impacted by what's happened in the past, which is why painful things in the past affect us today and looking forward to tomorrow but also do good things as well. And the fact that God has revealed himself as good, uh, that he has promised things to us, you know, these great and precious promises that Peter talks about, are meant to have an effect on us even when we're in the midst of suffering. Because we know this is not the whole story. (laughs) It really isn't. Now, we live in a culture where the only thing we... This is the only thing we believe is what I'm experiencing in my way and in my understanding and within my framework. We're so focused in on, and yet, and yet very often people aren't living in the moment at all. They're living totally shaped by pain and fear. We're just giving them the impression of doing that. So you're building really your own life on something that's sound, something you experienced in the past, but presently you could use for the future. You know, and that God is faithful. You know that. You have experienced these yeah. things. So you have something with firm foundation right. where you're literally building your life on. Yeah. So you've got to prove to yourself that these things are, you cannot communicate that, you cannot legislate it, you've got to experience it. That's the way I see it anyway. I think that's true. Absolutely. Sorry, I've got my Bible out. Seen as Frank's here and just quoting scripture at me. I better get my Bible out. You see, Frank doesn't need a Bible. He is. Sorry, go on, Alan. While I look at something. There's a plaque of words that says, uh, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And so uh, when you're praying, mm. when you're praying you, you've got faith right. in something you can't see. And that gives you confidence to. Uh, Carry on. It should, shouldn't it? Absolutely. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. You know, fear is, sorry, fear, faith. <laughs> faith is being sure of what we hope for and certainly what we don't see yet. And so hope is a huge part of faith. 
These things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Greatest of these is love. Hope is a huge part of the Christian life that helps us walk freedom free of fear. Because hope anticipates positive things in the future, doesn't it? And, you know, I'm inviting us to reflect about this because this is not a passive thing. You know, if we sit back and just wait for circumstance and everything, um, we will be overtaken. It's like Jesus says, you know, darkness is encroaching. You know, walk in the light as you have the light because otherwise, just in the circumference, you know, the, the rotation of the earth, eventually you'll go into darkness. And so we have to learn to live by faith. Not just say, I believe. Well, that's no good. <laughs> the demons believe and they know what that means and therefore they tremble. We're not meant to tremble in our faith. We're meant to, um, other than with the fear of the Lord, we know <laughs> it's an appropriate trembling. However, not tremble because we're awaiting judgment. We have hope. But... But that hope is not just after post-mortem, you know, after death. It's not just about the final judgment, although we ought to rest in that knowledge. Death, which is a very fearful thing, because we're wired to live. And when that gets skewed, as Maureen was sharing, it's, it's one of the worst things you can imagine, that somebody wants to die rather than live. Because hope has gone. There's only despair. There's no future. And it's an extreme form of fear in a way. But we're not, we don't thrive in that. For me, uh, I, can't have, I can't be in fear and have faith at the same time. It's one or the other. <laughs> so what happens when the Christian is afraid? What's going on there, do we think? Uh, yeah, we, well, in the sense of, well, we're just getting overcome in this moment, aren't we? We're actually, we're believing the wrong thing. And, and so again, it's back to this, well, no, faith has, has to be proactive. <laughs> I, it's a relationship of love that I'm to pursue. And the more I pursue that, the more I will experience the blessing. It's like I was, a little bit of what I was sharing this morning, that assurance comes by giving away, not by gimme, 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 gimme. no. I get assurance the more I give because I experience the reality. Now, God is so gracious and, you know, as children, he kind of does give us. But he'll start to withhold until we give. And what's sad often is we have people either overwhelmed by fear or lost in identity. We'll kind of talk more about this one in a couple of weeks when we look at shame. Um, because we're just sitting back. And we've, we've been overwhelmed by the lies. And we've allowed our, our situation to dictate our reality. Now, the blessing of Christian, Christian community, I think, and why it's so vital that we can be in a place where we're deeply known, which is, which is generally not the congregation, this is in, this is in friendships and small communities, it's so that in that place we can experience truth to expose that. Because it will, it will, it has the power, you know, the enemy is a force to be reckoned with. But so is your flesh. And therefore we need to learn to walk with Christ. That is a team sport. It is not 
We're not the lone runners. We're not wired for that. We're not designed for that. Anyway, kind of preaching there a little bit. So, how do we appropriate that? Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what will you put on. Life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, etc., etc. And yet the central truth is, don't you know your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things? It's all about, am I loving the real God? Do I know the Lord? Have I seen him? Do I know him? And of course the enemy kind of pulls us down this road away from the truth of who God is. Because everything flows from my revelation of and understand about the true nature of God. Not me, God. And the more that that gets a hold of me, the more freedom I have from fear, as well as a number of other things. And that we so need one another. We, we need the light of the scriptures, but we need the light of one another. You're the light of the world. Jesus says, not me. Just a chapter earlier. Isn't that amazing? So let your light shine. And it's vital that we do, not just for your sake, though it will flow back to you, but actually that's for, that, that collectively we would not walk in fear, amongst other things. So faith helps fear by, how would we summarize that? Sorry? That's, that's the story that is to be written, but has actually already been written. And so how do we start to see our life in the context of a bigger narrative? That's a, that's a, that's a product of Christian fellowship. That's a product of our exhibiting light. And in the, mom, in the midst of, down in the trenches, you know, the darkness is overwhelming me, the lies... Um, we also are equipped to look up. You know, it's like Jonah when he's in the belly of the whale. Look up. And the gift we have to one another is, is not to give pat answers or scriptures alone, but to actually invite the spirits, the spirit of truth, to reveal the bigger story into which our life fits. For that is our hope. And that is what will actually help us persevere in the present. Future hope. Alan. Um, faith um, alleviates fear. Um, you know, when you uh, worry, you say, well, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about 
that. Then you pray to the Lord, and uh, he takes that fear on. So your yoke is a lot lighter. And um, so you don't have to continue with, oh, I'm worried about this. You know it's taken care of. You can just walk in confidence. Yeah, he wants us to do that. No longer alone. There's truth in that. But hopefully there's, there's a relationship actually as well. There's, there's dynamic, there's love. That actually Jesus is present to me and he's present with the fullness of the Father's love. Carol. I love that. And it's so vital. It's not, a, it's not an optional extra for the charismatics. <laughs> well, other than the fact that we're all called to be charismatic grace recipients. Sorry, Linda, you were saying we add into that? Faith comforts you, I think. Faith comforts you. Of course it does. So, so these things play together, you know, faith in terms of anticipating future, but also love now, you know, through the Spirit and through His people. Um, all of these things help and, and contribute uh, as well as truth, <laughs> you know, embodied in our love for one another. Interesting that you, you kind of made the comment there, um, the way that you expressed it, is, you know, faith helps us, in a sense, bring in the supernatural dimension. Well, it's funny, you give, faith is about trust in God, that he's actually there with you, so it's not just you saying, oh, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm not going to be afraid, it's like, Actually, God, you take this and do what I can't do. Right. Now, yeah, and I'm, and I'm, just, I'm just thinking about your, your sentence. Um, because, in a way, everything about the Christian life is supernatural. Everything about the incarnation is supernatural because what we've got is we've got the God-man. We've got fully God, fully man. We've got God and man becoming one. And that's prefigured for all of us in our conversion and our being born again of the Spirit, coming alive in the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, being baptized and receiving 
the fullness now of this eternal spirit who indwells us as he indwelt Jesus of Nazareth. And therefore, our whole life is supernatural in the sense of we are connected with the Creator. And yet we're still afraid. But genuine, gen generally, that is because, you know, life is what it is. And we lose sight of. And we live not by faith, but by sight. We're more the natural than the supernatural. Which is not to say the natural is unimportant. It's vitally important. In becoming part of nature, God has demonstrated the value of his creation, and particularly human beings. But we're married now to that which is eternal. It's vital that we have that dimension. Um, I said earlier, we're doing battle with spiritual forces of wickedness that have extreme power over us, left to ourselves. The whole world, John would say, is under the control of the evil one. God of this world has blinded people to the truth, Paul says. How do we think we can walk without fear if we're trying to do it in our own strength? It's just important that we've got to realize the fellowship, and our fellowship is not just blood, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. That's how First John begins. And with the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians ends. And so that's a vital component. Absolutely. But we lose sight of it. We actually don't live like that, as if it's true. And particularly, that is most demonstrated when we're afraid. Perhaps. Because we're anticipating something, and I'm not talking about appropriate fear of real danger. And the Lord. I'm talking about letting fear overwhelm us to the point that we, you know, we're, we're just paralyzed. We're not confident. And that's, that's just, the enemy wants that. Love to have people so afraid that they don't want to do anything. They don't want to evangelize. They don't want to disciple. They don't want to love. They don't want to risk opening their hearts to others who might hurt them. Let's face it, we all feel these things. We're all tempted to pull back. But we are not without hope. We are those who press on. So I've got this screen here. It's a bit of a summary of some of the danger that we can fall prey to. And essentially, it comes down to an issue of trust. <laughs> trust is another good word for faith. And um, like I was sharing this morning... And ultimately, God wants us to trust in who he is, his goodness, his love for us, and his provision for all of our needs. My God, Paul says, he doesn't say, oh my God. He says, my God shall supply all your needs in Christ. Can you imagine? We don't have to. It's true. The question is, do we trust that? And so... Trust implies a surrender and a yielding. And this is one of the challenges of the kingdom. It's like I was sharing this morning, we find life when we lose it. Well, we find life when we surrender life in terms of control. But when we choose to, to be in control, ultimately we're, we're, we're choosing to play God. 
We're the one who's going to determine our future. We're the ones who are going to provide. Um, we're the ones who are going to manage circumstance. And, um, and guess what? It leads to problems. And that only reinforces the fear and makes us feel worse. And then the more afraid we are, the old fight-flight response, the more we seek to manage and control. And it's a vicious cycle. And uh, it's a gift of the grace of God and the Spirit working amongst us that he brings us to a place of brokenness. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we say, Lord, you're the king. I'm sorry. I give back control. And lo and behold, there's an opportunity for him to do. I had a sense of that this morning, you know. It's been, it's been a long day. I, I'm not really that well prepared for tonight as I normally am. <laughs> because I got a call just after I'd had my lunch. And uh, the guys needed to get in to fix the boiler, cause reassemble it so we might have some heat. I got home at 5 p.m. from that call, and I was all a bit grimy and dusty, and then I basically picked Carol up and put something in my mouth and came down here. But I felt this morning there was a real sense of the Lord, because I, I can want to do too much. I can want to get well prepared, make for a good gathering. But it was as if the Lord was saying, it's okay, Mike, I got this. There's a, there's a level that he wants to take us to, that is all about surrender. And it scares the heck out of me, if I'm honest. <laughs> and probably some of you. But there is a part of me that says, yes, Lord, please. Um, Isn't that true, Mike, that we, it often, the shift comes in, the problem often doesn't go away, but we, we actually end up... Bingo. That's, that's what he yearns for, isn't it? Longs for, for our well-being, <laughs> actually. And not that everything suddenly falls into place. In me you shall have peace. In the world, yeah, you'll suffer some tribulation, but in me you shall have peace. And so we're, we're people who are invited to live, in a way, in both camps at the same time. 
And I've had this refrain, you know, sometimes use this sense of being a non-anxious presence in the midst of the storm. What a gift. You know, we can be that to one another, to the world, actually. Talk about non-anxious presence, Jesus before Pilate. I I mean, that is superhuman. But it's fully human as well, actually. And it's within reach by the grace of God. And so it's important that we're doing this work in ourselves. It's important we're not settling for where we are. I've always been, I've always had anxiety. I'm always worried about stuff. I'm a worrier. You're a worrier? <laughs> Jesus says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> and so we label ourselves. I mean, why would we do that? But it takes some work. In the sense of turning... And we generally don't like to repent. (laughs) So we like the things we got used to thinking and understanding and functioning. But we've got to turn to the light, the sources of light. And being light to one another. So, um, let's talk about this a little bit. So this is on kind of about page three of... Four of your notes, I think. Sorry, there are no numbers on these. Dimensions of fear. I think this is helpful. As we relate to the... the <clears throat> what helps us is a combination of truth, perfect love, and faith. So, in that sense, maybe there are three antidotes, but, it, antidotes, but it's often a combination of those things, all of which are summed up, I think, in the reality of love. So these are suggestions. These are not necessarily, (laughs) you know, God's full and final revelation about this. But don't worry so much about the figures. But think about the the relative kind of uh, energy behind our fear. So fear based upon past hurt. Very often the the major thrust of that is emotional. (laughs) You know, I feel the pain. And uh, it's driving a sense of fear of experiencing that again. However, the mental part, the lies, you know, the the notion that it happened once, it can happen again, it probably will happen again. (laughs) And uh, the faulty thinking that can drive that does play a part, but it's not as powerful as the emotional part. And then volitional is just a big word for the will, the choice we make. And um, so we're, we're, you know, we're thinking, feeling, doing people, (laughs) We have a mind, a will, and emotions. And so it, it's choices that we make. And sometimes, you know, I choose to embrace the fear. It's a choice I make. And uh, because I, I believe the lies and then I act upon those. And therefore I find myself in that place. Fear based upon lies, however, as you might not be surprised to see. So where that's more of the source, I'm believing the lies, that's more of a mental thing. That's the mind thing. Now fear is often fueled by the mind, and the battleground is often the mind, which is why lies play in, and the enemy uses that. But it's helpful, both for ourselves, but again, you you know, we're, we're trying to think, how do we minister to people to help them be less afraid. 
and uh, and where <clears throat> you know this is a discernment process this is listening both to the spirit remember we're living the supernatural life but we're listening to the words that are being shared and and very often people's not just their behavior but their words betray what's going on and we're digging and we're inviting them to to say well why are you feeling that why are you thinking that what is it that you're anticipating is going to happen what is true for you in this moment and uh, and so where lies play, and obviously it's the mind that's going to be the predominant driver for the fear, though emotion is always there, and there is a volitional side to that as well. And then the unusual, the unknown, just freaks us all out. <laughs> no. I mean, some people love this, don't they? I mean, just change, bring it on. Let's try something different, you know. Let's... Up and move and cross country. <laughs> it's an adventure. But less of the, the mental, more of the, um, um, you know, the, the choices and uh, the feelings that may drive that. So, trying to see how fear is made up of different aspects of our a sense of who we are and what's contributing to that. And therefore, when I'm thinking about how to help somebody who's afraid, can I be a little discerning as to where to focus some of my care? Now this verse, it's kind of a, a really popular verse for me. It's one of the first verses I felt the Lord spoke to me through. God has not given us a spirit of fear, of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that speaks to each of those areas. We have power to choose differently. We don't have to do that. And um, the Spirit gives us an experience of love, the love of the Father poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. He's the Spirit of love because he's the Spirit of Christ, of God, who is love. But also he gives us um, a spirit of soundness in our mind. He's the spirit of truth. He leads us into all truth, liberatingly so, freeing so. Tied to love, tied to power, it's a job lot. doesn't get any better. So the spirit ministers to every aspect of who we are as humans. Isn't that wondrous? And therefore, the spirit in you can also minister into those different areas for the sake of others as well. And um, just thinking about that as it as it relates to fear and uh, helping to remove fear. <clears throat> so power. I know we often think of the miraculous, don't we? When we think about power, the the dunamis of the spirit, and. Um, Talking about that last Wednesday in our concluding session on the Spirit. But you know, there is a power to presence. And you know, when we're talking about this non anxious presence, understand that when you're, you're fully present to somebody, Christ is present. <laughs> Don't underestimate the power of that. Particularly. When we are coming up against not just flesh and blood, but principalities and powers that are fueling the fear. Super, super important. 
But again, back to really what Carol pointed out, how significant it is for us to realize we walk and live in the supernatural. We are supernatural beings. Peter says we get to participate in the divine nature. He's that close to saying we're godly. We're like God. Because we are. (laughs) That's why we're called Christians. Meant to be anyway. The question is, how much of a reality is that for you? Well, let me ask the question. How much of a reality is that for you? Is that pie in the sky? Or is that... No, there are glimpses we get of that reality. When we leave the worship area, do we dissolve back into these flesh only? (laughs) You know, when I'm sitting at my desk, not me, but you, anyone, in the workplace, do I realise I'm ungodly? That there is power? When I'm lining up at Savon to pay for my groceries and somebody upsets me. Or better still, I see some pain in someone's face. Can I realize that power, this presence with me? Or when I'm upset with my wife and things are getting heated, do I realize this? presence of God in this place and I better be careful but I also better be thankful (laughs) because all things become possible and so this comes from the spirit we are spiritual beings as well as natural beings forever changed through being born again of the Holy Spirit There's a whole realm and dimension that is opened up to me. Because the natural man doesn't understand or discern these things. But the spiritual man and woman does. Am I nurturing that side of my life? My spiritual life does not... It just doesn't fall on me and suddenly it's there and I start to use it. But it's important that um, I learn to walk in it. And love... This, this sense of caring involvement. I often say that it's, it is the caring, love expressed through caring involvement that helps us with fear. Cast all your anxiety upon him, Peter says, because he cares for you. That doesn't mean he's sitting on his throne. Hmm, shame so-and-so is having a rough time of things. No, he stoops down. And he picks us up and he holds us and he weeps with us. <laughs> And he chooses to invest himself in the relationship because of his care. And of course, this is one of the great gifts we have to give to other people, is our caring involvement, removing their aloneness. Understanding that very often, particularly when fear is fueled by pain, that is because needs have been not met. Or possibly the worst, they've experienced the opposite. Rather than acceptance, rejection. Rather than respect, abuse. Rather than security, they've been betrayed. Promises broken. And we get to be the 
the one who meets needs sacrificially. Coming alongside, presence and love. And then sound mind. Who feels they've got a sound mind? Are you sound? <laughs> well done, Linda. Woo! Yay, we got one. We got one in the house. <laughs> Is your theology sound? I'm not sure why we say that, but anyway. But is there light? You know, is, is my mind being fed by and worshipping the Lord? Because I'm assimilating truth. I'm learning to jettison the lies and the untruths of the world and its systems. And I'm embracing the truth as expressed supremely in the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore his teaching. And the revelation given by him to his apostles. We're not of... <laughs> it's interesting, I was chatting with Frank, but you know we've got more Bible available to us today than ever. But unfortunately... With that has become less of an appetite to read, isn't it? It's, it's kind of interesting. And of course, we're, we're in the, um, you know, entertain me kind of culture. Uh, video, snapshots, sound bites. And, you know, people only read two or three lines of a web page before they're moving on. I've been reading about that because I'm trying to redesign our website. <laughs> Some of you will be pleased to hear. I know I am. Um... That's, that's the world we live in. We live on sound bites rather than deep, profound truth. And we are paying a price. But um, am, am, I, um, am I seeking to be transformed through the renewing of my mind, the scripture that Frank shared from Romans 12, in order that would, I would be a more non-anxious presence in the world and have less fear in my life and more love and freedom and connection? That's a big part of it. And so when I'm with people, and we've got to be careful with this because we can abuse truth, um, and it's not just truth devoid of love and care <laughs> and presence. But it's how do we help through our engagement with one another for truth to be revealed through the Spirit's working in the midst of our fellowship. And can we... You know, express our truth in a way not to put on somebody such that they lay hold of truth that's true for them as well because the spirits at work in the midst of that. And it's a real gift to do that without just imposing. You need to believe this. But nevertheless, invite in, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit for truth to be revealed because therein lies our freedom. We actually did a whole summer's thing on um, learning to have conversations that matter. It was out of a book called Soul Talk. I know there's another book called Soul Talk. It wasn't that one. It was a different one. But it's, it's that sense of how do we do this sort of spiritual direction as a community? Because the spirit is in our midst. And it's really just how do we appropriate light? Um, and how do we allow you know, the, the, the truth to really set us free? In our minds as well as in our hearts. 
and then in our will. Any comments about that? Oh, questions, thoughts? Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Ditto. And should we be surprised when the, the one who inspired the authors to write is in us? It's his book. It's his revelation. It's his love. And I've been walking a little bit with uh, Ryan Borak, who I baptized about six, five or six weeks ago now. And something shifted in him. He'll talk about it. He gives testimony to it as he submitted himself to baptism, which is about dying and being raised by the power of God. And um, in obedience to Jesus, make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, and law I'm with you always. It'd be nice to see more of those, wouldn't it? Yeah. Someone shared with me as, as a young Christian something that's stuck with me. Guy, so it has to be simple for me to get it. He said that in person with no expression, and he said uh, expression without impression equals frustration. And then he said impression plus expression equals liberation, both to yourself and to others. So there's no sense getting, you know, impressed or without expressing it. You get constipation. <laughs> but when you when you have something impressed to you, and then you are able to express it to someone else. The doctor said to me one time, you didn't learn in university, you didn't learn about watching someone else do the operation. It wasn't until he taught it that he really got it. There's some truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about that, you know, in, in light of, you know, what we've been talking about in terms of some of the, the root issues that drive fear. And this. So why do we keep secrets? We're afraid. There we have it. We live by fear. We're not called to live by fear. And this is the enemy. It's his deception. 
We think it's safer to hold on to it, but it eats into us. And uh, you know I'm a great... We keep talking about intimacy. And we define that... Uh, oh, what about that? <laughs> Just got a friend request from someone I was at school with. <laughs> Haven't seen him for 40 odd years. <laughs> anyway, that's irrelevant. So uh, <laughs> that's a problem with Facebook. <laughs> um, I've totally lost my train of thought. Intimacy. It was a great thought. Sorry. Intimacy. Oh, intimacy, that's right. I told you I wasn't well prepared. I'm tired. <laughs> a deep mutual knowing for the purpose of care. A deep mutual knowing for the purpose of care. This is the nature of God. This is why we thrive upon it. But when we keep secrets, we're unknown. And we actually don't pursue knowing the other either. But when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. So we've got to walk in the light, not just confess. But that's what a part of walking in the light is, really. And so when we do, we've got to have wisdom as to how and when and with whom, but nevertheless, generally living the hidden life is not good for our health or our ability to be a non-anxious presence. And yet, intimacy is a most scary thing. And I don't think that's just a male prerogative or a tendency. I think that's common. And, and that's sad, isn't it? Because, again, it's part of the enemy's deception and control over us that he says it's safer to be hidden. It's safer to keep that to yourself. Wrestle with it on your own. And you will. And it will. Do damage. And so as you know, Kat was saying, a powerful testimony, courageous testimony. Uh, but we all think, you know, nobody would like us if they saw the whole picture. Well, why not? We're the people who are fully accepted and told to accept one another. Why? We're not allowed not to like you <laughs> and receive you if we're in Christ. The supernatural life. So, hope that's helpful. I thought we'd finish with one little exercise. So, we'll get you jumping on the spot for about five minutes. <laughs> now, I was helping this guy down in the uh, boiler room, and there's these... Um, this isn't really relevant, but I just had a thought about exercise. <laughs> and uh, these pumps that have been taken out of all the pump the uh, water flow for the heat and what have you. And he says, uh, can you help with it? It's about seven foot up in the air is where we're taking this thing. And he's, uh, he says, can you reach that far? <laughs> well, I can reach that far. I don't know how much weight I can do. Anyway, we, we go and pick this thing up, and my goodness me, one of us couldn't, couldn't lift it on our own. And, and I got it to about here, and all of a sudden I realised, I can't go any further than <laughs> this. And I said to him, do you know I'm seeing the doctor about my shoulder on, on Tuesday? And I am. 
and now I know why. <laughs> well, I knew why. I don't even know why I said that. It's You're just, delirious. I'm a bit delirious and tired. <laughs> so, <laughs> we have our limitations, don't we? Maybe I can translate into something nice and spiritual. You think of Moses with Aaron and her holding up his arms to intercede. I felt I needed someone to hold up my arms at that point. So, let's take a risk. Most of you can be in pairs, but it'll be a threesome for some of you as well. Removing fear. When it's just practice what we've talked about. You know, this idea of a journeyman, and it's kind of funny language perhaps, but I'm really encouraging us to... And this isn't just, this isn't a spouse if we're married. This is somebody, probably of the same sex, that knows us and we're seeking to know them as we journey together. Won't get into that too much. But um, allow God to use you in removing fear from your journey. What's a current fear you have or have listed in these notes? Because we invited you to reflect about this. Hopefully during the week you can talk with your partner, if you have one, about some of the things you know, you're seeing in the midst of this. But I want one of you to share a fear and the other to then respond to that, trying to discern. And if, don't ask too many questions because you don't want to make it too rational because <laughs> you want to respond, remember, with, with empathy. Um, but try and discern what would be helpful. Is it, you know, I'm here for you? I'm alongside you, we'll, we'll get through this together, that kind of thing. Is it showing some, some words of care, some comfort, some reassurance? Um, is it ministering truth without just throwing Bible verses? But how do we model that in a, in a reassuring way that, that would hopefully help and encourage?